Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. Rafael Diaz back. Okay, let's try this again. Rafael Garcia is back for another edition of the MMA Ratings Podcast. It is November, what, 17th, 2017. Um, yeah, November 17th, 2017. And boy, are we back after an action-packed weekend of fighting. I mean... What happened? What went down? Yeah, we got to see. We finally got to see it. Sorry, so Schwan uh, is not with us today. So I am live tweeting as I talk. And yeah, talking and typing is a bit harder than you would think sometimes, especially when you're trying to type a complete thought. But yeah, so I'm back to talk about all things UFC 205 tonight. We're going to look at the event as a whole, talk about what happened in the bigger fights of the night, because we can't touch upon every single thing, but we're going to talk about that. We're also going to look um, back at what happened uh, after the event was over, during the post-fight presser, and also look forward to another action-packed weekend of MMA events because we have quite a bit going on this weekend as well. So let's just go ahead and jump right into the conversation. Um, Obviously, when you talk about UFC 205, first and foremost, the biggest thing we got to talk about is one Conor McGregor. Um, What else can you say about this? Like This whole moment was built around him, and it's almost as if you feel like this whole moment was built specifically for him. Because when you look at it, you wonder who else could have carried such a monumental moment and carried it in such a specific fashion because he did it in such a perfect way of catering to the fans, being in front of that group, speaking and talking to the public all throughout the build up the right before the, the event and the aftermath. He did it in such a perfect way that endeared more and more people to him. It's almost, it's becoming more and more difficult to find people that outright hate him and don't respect him. It's, I'm telling you, man, he won me over. He won over a lot of people. He won me over before this event, but he's winning over fans left and right. Hell, if you even look um, around the sports community today, there's videos of Marc Gasol hitting a game-winning 
three um, for the Memphis Grizzlies, hitting a game-winning shot and then doing the Conor McGregor strut, which is also known as the billionaire strut from uh, Vince McMahon, doing that same strut around the ring that, oh, excuse me, around the, the basketball court that Conor McGregor does around the cage. You're seeing this on Instagram left and right. So how many other fighters on the UFC roster could have carried this moment in the very same way? When you look at their roster from top to bottom, I mean, the only person you may be able to want to um, talk about is Ronda Rousey, but we're going to talk about her later on in the show. But even she didn't carry this moment, or she didn't even carry her moment. Like, she didn't carry her moment at all. And we, I don't think she would have been able to carry the massive lift that this show was from top to bottom. I mean, there was a there was a um, an article on Bloody Elbow today who um, there's, there's an article on Bloody Elbow today that talks about how McGregor's numbers, pay-per-view numbers, have almost doubled the UFC numbers from as a whole since um, 2014. So, like, that's that's something that we should talk about there at a later date as well. But let's talk about McGregor's performance. From the very beginning, you knew that this was you knew that this was a moment that wasn't going to go well for. Eddie Alvarez. I know I was watching the fight. I was at work watching the fight with a bunch of other people who are very well versed in MMA as well. And no one saw this fight making it out of the first round. And stylistically, there were just too many issues here. Um, Eddie is a boxer first, a boxer wrestler who presses forward and gets takedowns off of forcing his opponents to back up. Okay. How does that play in well against another man who's bigger than you, has a longer reach than you, and whose precision striking has proven to be his biggest strength? Um, if you look at the way Eddie approached the fight, and well, I'm not going to say approached the fight because he has gone on record and said that he's um, that he did admittedly go away from the game plan. Like their, the game plan from their team was to use kicks, use movement, work for takedowns. He did none of that. I don't even know. I don't think he threw very little kicks in, in this fight here, landed very few strikes. But anytime he's pressing forward, throwing punches at McGregor's head, you saw Connor slip out the way and counter, especially the, the, the fight ending combination, four punch combination, I would say three and a half combination that finished off Eddie was based off of a slip. He steps, he slides back. Doesn't even really take a full step back. Slides back, throws the left, right, left, right. Eddie, Eddie's going down by the, by the time the third punch hits him. Fourth was just kind of like a, a grazing shot, and then he takes one while he, he's on the mat, and now we have a two division champion for the first time, first man to hold two belts at the same time. Uh-oh, we may have a guest tonight, folks. Let's see, let's see, let's see. I didn't hear from him earlier. But we may have a guest today. Shawan may be joining us, but yes. So what McGregor did was almost exactly how everyone saw it flowing. 
He slipped out of position through a clean combination that put Eddie down. Even the first two, you know, um, I don't think all three of those knockdowns in the third round were knockdowns. I think Eddie did slip on one of them. But even those sequences, McGregor was consistently landing off of off of slips, throwing counters. And that played directly into what Eddie was offering him, pushing forward, driving forward, throwing those type of, of strikes. And with this win, I mean McGregor could not have done it in any better fashion. I mean, if anything, you know, like the the way he finished Otto could have possibly been better. I don't know, 13 seconds. But he looked so masterful and so poised and perfect in this position that getting that finish was something. It was almost an afterthought even before the fight began. But we now have our spectacular co-host, um, Shawan, has joined us. How you doing there, sir? Oh, good. How about yourself? Sorry to be so late, man. No, nah, no problem, man. No problem, no problem at all. So um, right now, you know, we're talking about UFC 205. And first question I want to go ahead and throw out there is whether or not this show um, lived up to the hype. How do you feel? Uh, I feel I feel it did. I feel the, the car, the fights were all very exciting. Having uh, what McGregor did at the end pretty much was the icing on the cake. I mean, you had to have a guy with that magnitude. That sort of reach across media to really make it the biggest and best show they could make it. But um, from top to bottom, it was excellent matchups. I mean, you saw Misha Tate retiring. It was just the kind of stuff that you don't see on on lesser cards. You know, I couldn't imagine Misha Tate's last fight being on a fight night card or something of that nature. So uh, as far as just what happened and the quality of fights and the quality of the matchups, it, it was. It, I would say it exceeded its expectations from the from that from that aspect. Well, we're going to talk about your girl Misha Tate in a minute, because um, I know that that that's your homie. You know, you're right after Brian Caraway in in her heart. So we're going to talk about her in a second. But um, talk to me about what Connor did, man. Like in watching this fight, in where I was watching it, no one was surprised. We all just sat there. As soon as the fight started, we were like, "Yeah, we're going to be going home probably like in the next ten minutes." Because this one's going to be over rather quickly, and that's exactly what occurred. A couple of shots. He's like even the first two shots, he's down on the ground, and then from that point, it's just it's just snowballed from that point forward. So tell me what what happened? Because you we've seen the we've seen the comments of Eddie talking about how far he went away from the game plan. But talk to me about this fight, man. Was it exactly what you thought you would see? I mean. We talked about this fight on a probably about three two occasions before we had our the final breakdown I had on a uh, the week before it, and uh, it pretty much went the way I, I thought. It's not that Eddie's not a bad fighter. It's not that he he can't fight or he can't perform. The thing is, people just weren't they weren't realistic about what they were seeing. People were letting the fact that they don't let this happens with Conor McGregor a lot. People let the fact that they don't like him overshadow the fact that he is in a very skilled craftsman he's got a lot of mental and physical gifts they overlook that because they don't like the guy so a lot of people were talking about eddie 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 Alvarez's wrestling and his ground control and his pressure and his power and his boxing and people were just overestimating him they were ignoring the fact that conor mcgregor is an actual bad style matchup for alvarez and right now where he his chin is still undenable his cardio seems to be as good as it's going to be he's got that length and that power they 
they forgot that those things were huge advantages he had over a guy in Alvarez who's very experienced, very seasoned, but in his past couple years has been shown to be a guy who gets tired, a guy whose wrestling is slightly overrated, and a guy who defensively, historically, has been hit or miss defensively, depending on who he's fighting and how much control he has in the fight. So people just ignored the trends. They ignored what they've seen from Eddie Alvarez all his all career long because they don't like Conor McGregor. And they wanted Conor McGregor to lose. And they wanted Conor McGregor to be upset and be humbled. And they ignored the fact that Eddie Alvarez didn't have the tools necessary to perform that, to do that on their behalf. He's not a good enough boxer. He's not a good enough wrestler. And at this stage, his chin and his ability to recover aren't there either. He's been in fights across the globe and every organization against the very best of the best his entire career. You can, you only, you can only take so many hard shots. You can only give so many hard shots. He's not at his best physically in regards to durability. He's not his best in regards to hand speed, foot speed, conditioning, anything. He's on the decline. And this title, title when he had against RDA was pretty much, in my opinion, his last hurrah as a truly top-end elite fighter. And the reason he won that is because it was a bad style matchup for Rafael Desanya. So people ignored the facts because they don't like Conor McGregor. And it happened pretty much the way I said it was. Eddie didn't have a footwork advantage. He, could, he couldn't penetrate that first layer of, of defense for Conor McGregor because of Conor McGregor's footwork, his stance, and his limb. And I said that would be an issue, and it was. What's interesting is that you point out that, you know, people can't hate on Conor anymore, which is kind of like what at that, we're kind of getting to the point where maybe, it, well, okay. We're not quite at the point where fans who hate on LeBron James just hate on him just for hate sake. We're not quite there yet because I'll, talk, I'll, speak, and I'll speak to that in a, in a second, but we're getting very close. Um, we're, we're at a point where we're recognizing that this guy is going out there and he's doing things. He's doing what he's saying he's going to do. Um, whether people want to recognize it or not. What's very interesting, though, is that um, I, I'm wondering what's going to be next for him because there's, there's a lot of questions, man. Like, he's champion now of two divisions, and he's yet to defend a title at all. So what do you do with this guy? Do you put him in there with um, Khabib? Do you let him call the shots and maybe make a fight with Nate Diaz, you know, someone else who's not deserving of a title shot? Do you, what do you, or do you let him go away? Like he says, like he's saying he's going to do um, because his girlfriend is, is expecting a child. Do you let him go away and kind of watch as your pay-per-view revenue goes with him? Uh, the main thing I would say is they don't really, Tony Ferguson would actually be first and foremost the most vi viable and respectable contender because he's on a win streak and he's had his biggest win most recently against Rafael Desanos. So if you want to go by activity, quality of opposition, and the quality of the performance, you would go with Ferguson. Clearly, there's nobody else around who's got his, his resume, his activity, and his pedigree at this stage. There's no one. Over him, if you're going by the if you're going by the typical sporting. Hold on, my my signal's getting messed up.
All right, so while he steps away for a second to get his phone fixed, um, I'm going to disagree with him there because I would rather see him fight um, Khabib simply because they, I feel like they have the potential for the biggest rivalry. Tony Ferguson was on the main stage a couple weeks back where at where he did get that win against RDA, but he didn't do a good enough job calling out the champion. And I hate to say that now, but because a big aspect of MMA is becoming the promotional game. You cannot sit there and expect things to come to you. You're going to get passed over. And it's going to happen to you time and time again. Okay, sorry. Um, so, okay. yeah. So I was just saying how I was disagreeing with you. I would rather go with um, Khabib over um, Tony Ferguson. Well, I, I understand why people would go, would go that direction. But I, when I was speaking about Ferguson, I was just going off of the instance of a guy who's dependable, a guy who's got lots of wins, a guy who's hot right now. As good as Khabib is, the fact of the matter is in the past two years, he hasn't been dependable. He hasn't been dependable on any level. Had he been active these two years, you could deny him. He would have might have gotten a title shot before Connor got a title shot. And we wouldn't even have the opportunity for Connor to be in this position. But the thing that's hurt him is he constantly gets injured. Roney, he fell out of fights with Ferguson. He's a with impeded his ability to compete. And if you can't even show up for the fight, you can't get ahead. No, I totally um, agree with you on that. Like that's I mean, his biggest it's similar um, to what happened to Aldo. attraction. It's a similar to what happened to Aldo. Aldo kept getting injured. Cain Velasquez, another guy who kept getting injured. Chris Weidman, another guy who kept who keeps getting injured. I understand they want to make him. He he has the skills and the ability to be a title a title contender or fight in a title fight. But I haven't seen him. I don't know that he's not going to get injured again. Let's say they set up a title fight and he gets hurt. Then what? You got to reschedule again. Then he's going to come back and say, "I demand a title fight." I lost a title fight because I got hurt. Well, you know, um, unfortunately, that's not how that works in the real world. I, I think it'd be a good fight. I think I think either him or Ferguson are probably first in line as far as, like, actual accomplishments and skill sets. But if they're going to go for the money play, which seems like that's what they'd want to do, yes, Diaz is the Diaz is the big money maker. He's the guy who's going to draw people's attention, especially after the first and second fight. The trilogy will be huge. It'll, it might even hit two million buys. And neither one of those other guys is going to draw enough in and of themselves to make Connor or the UFC the money they want to make off him. Yeah, I'm definitely not disagreeing with you there. Um, the money that's on the table is definitely definitely does say Nate Diaz first, um, just because you know he's as Dana White famously said, you know he's now become a needle mover but if they made that fight next would that be disappointing to you because basically the rankings go out the window like what are these guys fighting for if they decide to make this um nate diaz fight next what are guys in the featherweight division especially like what are they fighting for if they're completely overlooked for possibly like the fourth time yeah i mean to be quite honest i don't know that the mma and, and especially in the ufc it's not a sport like real sports. We've had this discussion before. You want to fight in the Super Bowl, you want to play in the Super Bowl or play in the NBA championship or the NFL championship or the NHL championship or MLB championship, every team in front of you, whether you're the lowest ranked team or the highest ranked team, you have to beat other ranked teams in a certain order to get to that championship. In MMA, you put a, you put a couple wins together and you get a title shot. You might be coming off of a loss because you're a big enough name and you'll draw 
you'll get a title shot. We've seen that before. Misha Tate got a shot against Ronda Rousey after she lost to Kat Zingano. You know, Kat Zingano was the number one contender because she came back from an injury. She had to win, like, what, one or two more fights before she even got a shot at Rousey. MMA doesn't have any sort of real structure. You have rankings, but the rankings don't mean to really mean anything for some. It's not like the number one guy gets a shot. If the number one guy or number one contender who the female is has a big name or maybe there's nobody else to fight, get a shot. But it, as far as it goes with matchups, they just justify it any way they want. And if you have a prior storyline or you have a prior interaction with that said fighter, that improves your chances of getting that fight. You know, and the smart fighters understand that. Now, if you just want to keep your mouth shut and play by the rules, you can do that. But unless you're the champion, there's going to be a certain cost for that. Look at Michael Bisping. He didn't fight the number one contender. He fought Dan Henderson because Henderson, he had a storyline with him. It drew, it got his pocketbooks lined a little bit thicker than fighting a wide man or a rock hold would have. And it's the same thing with Conor McGregor. You know, he wants to make the most money. The UFC wants to make the most money. And even though these guys won't admit it, they just say they want to be the best and prove that they want to be the best. They're not being 100% honest either. It's the same thing with those guys who used to fight Oscar De La Hoya. You say you want to be the best, but there's other guys. You say that Conor McGregor's easy work? Well, then fight the guys who were a tough challenge. But you don't want to fight those guys because Conor McGregor is the payday. He's the cash cow. You want to fight him because he's the one with the money. He's the one who's going to get you the payday. If you beat him, he's the one who makes you a hero in your country. He's the one who gets you on Morning America and all that stuff. You don't want to fight him because you think he's the best. You don't think he's the best. You want to fight him because of the opportunities and the doors that might get open if you get a shot at him. That's why everybody's clamoring for a fight with Conor McGregor, even though everybody says he's easy work and he's no challenge. If you're really that kind of competitor, why aren't you going after the challenges? Why don't you want to clear out the whole division and then go after Conor? Because you don't want someone to get that payday before you, and you don't want someone to derail him before you get to him. So I can't get down on the rankings because UFC has never followed rankings, and MMA they don't follow rankings. You know, somebody falls out of fight, they don't cancel the whole event nine times out of ten. They just bring somebody, whoever's available. The number one guy fell out, uh, the number 11 guy will fight for the title. Cool, we'll just bring him in. They, they've always done that. So the rankings really meant that much. Not really. I mean, to the hardcore fans and, and analysts and people like you and me, it matters. But to the bottom line and casual fans, they don't care. They want to see who they want to see, and they're going to pay for who they want to see. The, rank, the rankings mean nothing to them. Yeah, they really don't. They don't mean a thing. And, yeah, so now we have two divisions basically ruled over by one guy who is very adept at leveraging his star power into what he wants. So we may not know what comes next. You know, guys like Max Holloway may just be out there twisting in the wind. Khabib Nurmagomedov, two guys who are both very deserving of the next crack at the featherweight and lightweight title may just be sitting out there twisting in the wind just because their names don't get the biggest um, don't get the biggest drawing power uh, that the UFC would like. So I want to make sure we get Well, in the case of Holloway, Holloway could possibly get a fight with Aldo and be the interim champ and eventually become the full-time champ if McGregor doesn't go back down to 45. That's a possibility. That's totally true. That's totally true. Um, Khabib and Ferguson, I mean, if Connor's talking about taking an extended break. They might come with an inter interim championship belt for them too. The fact of the matter is, everybody's just got to make the make the best of the situation and make sure make sure they put themselves in position that if and when Connor goes back to forty five or he comes back to fifty five, you put yourself in position 
to get that first shot at him. You're not the first shot, you're the second shot. That's, that's all they can do at this point because he really does hold all the cards. And this is a point that nobody else makes. The fighters allow him to hold all the cards because instead of just going about your business and doing what you're supposed to do and picking up fights and keeping on winning, everybody keeps talking about him. Everybody, you have the biggest win of your career. Who, what's the first thing out of your mouth? Conor McGregor. You have the biggest loss of your career. You're talking about how if you would have got this win, you would have got a shot at Conor. You have another opponent. You talk more about Conor McGregor than you do your own opponent. So people are constantly giving him the power he wants because he's on every fighter's, every name fighter's lips. Everybody's talking about him. He's not talking about Eddie Alvarez. He only talks about him because he has a belt. He hasn't mentioned Max Holloway's name in years because, you know, he he's basically built himself a brand through the company, through his own hard work, and through the other fighters who want that payday. They help empower him by constantly mentioning him and saying how they'll expose him and they want a piece of him and responding to his, his pot shots. You don't respond to it. Some of his steam dies down. But by responding and engaging, you're just pushing that narrative forward because you keep shooting all these shots and you keep having these explosive interviews where you call him a punk and say he needs to come see you and he's scared of you. You think you're up, you think you're raising your Q rating, but you're really raising his. Because people still don't care about you, but they care more that you want a piece of Connor and they only pay attention to you because you want a piece of Connor. Not because of anything you've done on your own or your own interest or your own fighting style, because you might face this guy. So they're they kind of they're kind of hurting their own interest by constantly pursuing them that way. Sorry about that. I was just sitting here. I thought I was on mute. Um, but no, I definitely totally agree with you. Like they really are putting him in a position to become the star he is. But, and even as you talk about um, fighter, other fighters talking about Conor McGregor, someone else who brought him up was um, Tyron Woodley and Woodley was coming off of a hell of a fight against um steven thompson you know i made it very clear very basically very clear as day that i was rooting for woodley for reasons outside of the cage not necessarily just in but reasons outside and he went out there and he got the job done i mean i would have um i'm not mad at the 47 47 scores there i would i would have thought he could have taken a um split decision win but um yeah, that was a hell of a fight, man. It, was, it went a lot differently than what a lot of people expected, a lot of people thought, and Tyron got the job done. Now he's looking at what's next for him, and he has a host of opportunities in front of him as well. So talk to me about that win or about that fight there, and, and did you think he did enough to win, and, and, and what were your thoughts coming away from the card? Well, first of all, I, I owe Tyron Willie an apology because anybody who's listened to our show knows from day one this fight was announced, I was quite clear that two things would happen. One, he was going to get out clapped. First, he was going to gas. Had to get a stoppage win to win it. If they get a stoppage win, he was either going to get stopped or just outclassed to a decision. And I have to hand it to Tyrone Woodley that, A, he toughed it out. He fought in the spots efficiently and effectively enough. But he was able to turn the fight around in his favor. And regardless of how tired he may have been, he was never tired enough to the point where Wonder Boy was able to completely take over the fight and use the volume and the variety of attacks necessary to pull away late and keep him from having those big moments of offense. I thought he fought a good fight when he came out for the takedown early because I, I still believe that takedowns take a whole lot out of him because he explodes into him so much and he spends so much energy. But um, he came out quick. I don't think Wonder Boy expected him to go for a takedown that quickly. I thought Wonder Boy expected him to kind of measure him and try to load up with some big shots. 
and then he'd be able to counter him and control him. And um, he came up with that takedown, and that takedown, I think, essentially won the fight when he took him down and really put that beating on him and was is laying the and grinding on him and controlling him and working him over. I think that essentially made Wonder Boy gun shy from that point on. That volume you saw versus Johnny Hendricks and that uh, versus so many other opponents, that didn't exist against Woodley. Like, he realized that Woodley could take him down and Woodley could put hands on him and Woodley could manhandle him and keep him down on the ground. And I think that really was in the back of his mind because he didn't really have any answers. There weren't any submission attempts, sweep attempts, reversals, scrambles. Woodley beat him up when he, he did. And I think that's really making him a little gun shy on his end moving forward through the fight. The only issue I had with Wonder Boy is I thought his boxing was a little bit better than it was. And maybe it was just the takedown and, and the abuse he took. Maybe it was because Willie's so athletic and dynamic in his, his entries and his, his offense that maybe made him hesitate. If Wonder Boy's boxing game had been a little bit more fleshed out, he had a more of an active jab, he could throw a wider variety of shots. When he backed Woodley into the cage, he could have kept Woodley on the cage, you know, feigning with the jab, using the jab to the body and jab to the head. You know, if Woodley comes out, he could step back and check hook him. There's just a lot of things he could do instead of the kicks and to use a variety in his punches to keep Woodley guessing and keep him on the fence. Because the guys who beat him, when they put him on the fence or Woodley's backed up in the fence, they've kept him on the fence. Rory McDonald was the most recent guy, and he did it by using positioning and an active jab to keep Woodley right at the range he wanted to. And then he'd kick away at him, kick to the stomach, kick to the legs and jab him up and down. So Woodley couldn't enter in for those big shots without getting stuck in the face with a jab, and he couldn't drop down for a takedown because of the distance Rory had and the stance Rory had and the fact that the jab was going to the body too. Wonder Boy didn't do that. It was a lot of the same combinations to the head and body. It pace. Uh, he, did, he just couldn't keep Woodley on the, on the fence. Whoever was on the fence was getting beat up. He put Woodley there. And the Woodley would come storming back, and Woodley would put him there. And they were just going back and forth in straight lines. There wasn't a lot of pivoting and angles. But essentially, he stood in front of Woodley. He didn't have the variety to keep Woodley under control and, and make Woodley hesitate with his offense. And eventually, Woodley's power and his athleticism and his ability to pick, pick the spots to explode incorrectly. Because in that fourth round, he landed hard. He landed big. And... Um, he essentially turned. He essentially took the fight from that point on. That all the rounds had been close except for the first round, and essentially the fourth round, which he won with that flurry, and um, that was more than enough for him to win it. I thought it could have been a draw, but if I go by the fact that he essentially dominated the first round, engaged in, and essentially round, you know, almost finishing Wonder Boy with strikes, and then almost finishing him with the guillotine. It's hard. It's hard to argue with the fact that he won a split decision. Or excuse me, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to argue that fact. I think it was. I think the fight ended up being a draw. If I'm correct, I'm sorry. It. So, good. No, I was. I was just saying. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm not mad at it being a draw myself either. I'm really. I'm really just happy at what he was able to go out there and do. I hope that he earned a lot of respect. That it just seemed like the fans and even the UFC just were not giving him. It was almost like, for lack of a better term, he was written off to be a transitional type champion. But now they're sitting here with this guy who is, in every sense of the word, he's a model champion for them. But they don't, um, they don't present him as such. I was listening to a show earlier this week where. 
they called um, Stephen Thompson a squeaky clean fighter, like Tyron Woodley isn't. You know, this guy is well educated, family man, raises his son. Raises, I think he has a son, or um, he he's yeah. proud he father. Yes. Like, there's no reason to not call him a, a squeaky clean fighter, but for some reason, that's that's the terminology they wanted to use to describe Stephen Thompson as opposed to. Tyron Woodley. So for the reasons like that, that's why I'm rooting for this guy every time he steps into the cage. And he went out there and he did what I what I thought he needed to do. And um, I'm hoping that he builds on this performance enough to become the star that I hope he becomes. For, well, as far as this performance, I really thought he could have won the decision. The draw, I didn't have a problem with it. It probably was the more fair decision. The thing about it is the same issues that I thought he'd have in the fight were the issues that he did have in it. He still got tired. He just was able to control it and pick his spots enough to where he could deter- turn the fight in his favor. But he he dominated with takedowns and ground control. You never saw that again for the rest of the fight. Why is that? I think it's because he was tired and he can't constantly explode into takedowns. And, the, and once Wonder Boy started being cautious and more sporadic with his offense and how he attacked, he knew he wasn't going to get that clean takedown. He wasn't going to catch him off guard. He'd have to work a little bit for it. And if he got caught in a bad position, exhausted and tired, he could be punished. He still backed into the cage, and he would have been stuck on the cage had Wonderboy actually been throwing some diversity and cutting him off instead of just throwing his typical, his typical shots and not throwing enough of them. He could have really, when he heard Woodley, he could have overwhelmed him or at the very least put enough on him to control him. He just didn't have, in my opinion, didn't have enough depth in his boxing because I didn't see Woodley make an adjustment to get off the cage other than exploding right back at him. What's very interesting, um, I'm not sure if you heard his interview on um, on the MMA Hour this week, but he talks about that. Uh, he talks about why he kept fighting with his back against the cage as opposed to trying to work takedowns in the center and work like a, a ground and pound in the middle. And he, what he was saying was that he was backing himself up against the cage to use that as an opportunity to to get Thompson to to basically strike with Thompson to get him to move backwards. And he was talking about how he was negating a lot of Thompson's striking abilities instead of fighting him in the center of the cage, fighting him against the cage, which kind of limits Thompson's um, limits the angles that Thompson can take to land a lot of his shots because he, he is correct there because you know like a lot of shots that Thompson lands are awful when he cuts angles and what Woodley was saying is that with his back against the cage he limits the and yes he's limiting himself he notices he knows that but he also is lim- he also limits the angles that Thompson could take to attack him so while I agree with him I understand what he was doing there there are moments in the fight where I thought he could he could have done a little bit more to steal a round with maybe a late takedown or something like that to steal a round and we wouldn't be having this conversation today because he would have won a clear cut or either or either a clear or a um, split split victory it wouldn't ended up in a draw well he made, he makes a very he makes a very valid point and he does that as, as I mentioned before and friend of the show Andrew Pearson had mentioned his entries, his entries are pretty sharp, but his exits aren't. So by fighting against the cage, you essentially, like you said, you can only c- come in so many ways having to figure out the angle to escape out on or having to pivot. If he's going to cut down, let's say he cuts down 50% of your offense, then I only have to worry about blocking and parrying and taking certain certain shots that I know I can take 
or defending certain shots that I know I feel I can defend based off my skill and physical attributes. But in the same instance, that, that, that eliminates me having to figure out which way I'm going to pivot out, which way I'm going to roll out, which angle I'm going to take to escape after I land this shot. Essentially, just bait, he's baiting Thompson in, and then when Thompson overcommits or Thompson takes a rest or hesitates in his offense, then Woodley comes off the, fe- comes off the fence with big shots. And basically, if you watch the fight enough, you'll notice, even though they were going around the cage to a certain degree, when somebody attacked, the other guy went straight back. Thompson got stuck on the page, cage. Woodley will say he likes to bait people to the cage, which he does. But if somebody has an active enough jab and they're smart enough with their striking and their boxing, they can keep him on the cage. He did that against Roy McDonald. He could not get off the cage. Roy McDonald was just lighting him up, lighting him up, picking him off, controlling him. I thought Thompson's boxing would be a little bit cleaner and his overall striking awareness would allow him to really put the volume on and figure out some different ways to set things up to keep Woodley right there. Because that that thing that only works if you get the guy to stand right in front of you, which is the purpose of him baiting. But if the other guy hasn't has a wider selection of shots as far as his punches, uppercuts, hooks, check hooks, feints, and fakes, then he's still he's essentially you're gonna block a lot, but because of what he's throwing, you're gonna be stuck. You won't be able to get any offense off because you're too busy trying to figure out what he's throwing and how he's throwing it. All that tells me is Woodley did a lot of his research on Thompson and he had him figured out. To take advantage of something doesn't mean that somebody else couldn't take advantage of that versus him because being stuck on the cage is not a good idea. And some of the roughest spots he's had in his career has been when an opponent has had him stuck on the cage. Yeah, he backs up to the cage on purpose, but the question is, can you keep him there? Just like somebody might give up a takedown, but if you can defend the take, if if you can um, defend their their ground and pound and defend their submission attempts and attack with your own, then even though you put yourself in a bad position you've got the skills to work yourself out of it. In that case, he put himself in a position and Thompson didn't have the skills to keep him on the defensive and consistently land offense with any sort of volume. And that lack of volume is what I think determined the fight. He couldn't put enough on Woodley to overwhelm him or to score enough points to make Woodley's gas tank kind of lower and make him hesitant to come back with his own offense. So I, I feel like it was very smart on Tyron's part to eliminate other holes. It still shows that he still has an issue with cardio. He can't go a hard five rounds, in my opinion. And I still think that the wrestling is something he can't lean on because if it doesn't work early or somebody can stuff a shot, I don't believe he, he can commit to it. I don't believe he can do two or three rounds of wrestling control and ground and pound. And when the fight was happening, a lot of people were shocked that he was able to get that much damage done because he's never shown that in his career, not consistently, not round after round, and he still didn't show it. So I commend him on making technical adjustments and doing his homework and shutting down Thompson. But to a certain degree, I feel like certain limitations in Thompson's game allowed Woodley to take advantage take advantage of him and for him to work out of bad spots that he put himself in, i.e. putting himself up against the cage. Because nobody in combat sports is going to tell you it's a good idea when somebody's punching and kicking at you for you to back up in a straight line. You can explain it, and I understand why you're doing it, it's still not a good idea because if you're with a more diverse guy with a better skill set, that might get you stuck on the cage all round long repeatedly and just outwork to a decision. It's happened to him before. It just didn't happen this time. And part of it's because of his ability to process information. I think part of it's because um, Wonder Boy just didn't have the depth of skill in a particular range of striking. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you there. That's definitely some 
good analysis there. What would what what would you consider? What would be next for them? Do you automatically rematch these two guys, or do you um do you let them go their, their separate ways and kind of bring them back together at a later date? Lee, personally, he's he, like you said, he's a class act. He's a very smart guy. I would like to see him get a huge payday. I'd like to see him get a money fight. I just don't think it's likely that he's going to get a GSP or a Nick Diaz. And and I don't know who else in the welterweight division outside of maybe if Conor McGregor moved back up that um he'd be able to make to make and get the attention that he wants to get. You see, I know he's not just going to sit out, take his ball and go home, but I really think he might he might be forced into fighting Wonder Boy again because it was a good fight, it was competitive. Wonderboy has a bigger fan base than I thought he did. It was a good fight. So they can they have a store a prior storyline and you know they can do the whole unfinished business thing, whatever. But um I, I really think until another contender kind of comes out, maybe a Donald Cerrone takes a step forward, or maybe Robbie Lawler gets a win and takes a step forward. Until that happens, the best option for him, money wise and as far as drawing interest and attention, is gonna be Wonderboy. I don't know. I don't think he's going to get GSP. I don't think he's going to get Conor McGregor. I don't think he's going to get a Nick D- a Nick Diaz. So what other option is there for him? Who else can he sell more or make more money on against fighting other than Wonderboy? Most of the welterweights in, in division, you don't even know who they are, and a lot of them aren't coming off a of win and haven't looked great. So that it'd be a really hard sell. So I'm thinking they're going to have an immediate rematch and uh, – about two, three months from now, you're going to see Wonderboy and Tom and uh, Woodley back in the guy again again. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm definitely would, I'm definitely down for watching that fight, um, but I'm just not as you know. I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I hope he finds a way into getting a bigger payday because that's what he deserves right now, um, especially after this performance. But you just never know what these guys are are going to do. That like, you just never know if if they're going to have the um, opportunity to do that. So um, the, the next big story... I started arguing with GSP. They could have just said, hey, what do you want, GSP? We'll give it to you. Fight with me. They, they could have helped him out. They did not. They definitely did not. Um, the next big story I wanted to talk about uh, coming off of that show was um, Misha Tate, man. She lost a one-sided fight, got pretty handled, and packed up her bags and walked away. Did you see the um did you see the story where she's talking about how um she's just not she's not interested like what she literally said um while she was in the cage that she just doesn't care enough for this. Um what are your thoughts about this fight and how everything went down um on Saturday? First of all, as the foremost source of information regarding Misha Tate, not just joking. Um to be honest, Misha Tate um, a lot of her style, a lot of her style is based on about a physical durability. And it's not just a physical durability, it's a, it's a mental toughness she has. That's what allows her to get through. She always gets in bad spots, takes a lot of abuse. She hangs on, she grits her teeth, she fights through it, and then she systematically starts taking her opponent apart. If you watch her recent run in the UFC, even in her fights against Ronda Rousey, You'll see spots where she's she, a beating is getting laid on her. At some point, she starts resisting, covering up, trying to move to keep the fight going, and then she slowly works her way back into the fight and takes over or starts performing much better. When you are that kind of fighter, 
Because a lot of times when people, as the person who's competed, you know this, I've never competed. A lot of times you you get hit, and it's not so much that you can't take the shot and you're going to stop going. You don't want to keep going. You've taken so many shots. You see guys tapping out for strikes. They know they're trapped, but if you really don't want to tap out, you can just take those strikes for two, three rounds straight, and it's going to leave you mentally damaged and probably physically damaged. But if you don't want to tap, you don't have to. Misha Tate's biggest asset is that she doesn't want to quit and she's willing to die to get that win, to turn that fight around. When she fought Sarah McMahon, Sarah McMahon cracked her orbital bone. She turned that fight around and worked Sarah McMahon over and beat her within an inch of her life for the next two rounds. Fighters I've seen have got a cracked orbital bone. Fight. They're like in fetal position. I'm, I'm not calling them cowards. I'm not calling them quitters. I'm just stating a fact. She had the same injury that made Josh Koscheck not want to aggressively go after GSP anymore. She had the same injury where I've seen other fighters fall on the ground and cover up. And she fought through that. She turned the fight around. She got she was getting taken down, beaten up. She got a reversal, got on top, and just laid the lumber on Sarah McC- McCann. You know, and she's the same thing she did with Jessica Guy. Jessica Guy's lighting her up, beating her up. She decides, I'm going to bite down. I'm going to take a step forward. I'm going to start walking her down behind my jab. And she put the right hand on her. And then she proceeded to beat her within an inch of her life. Holly Holm was out slicking her the whole fight long, just out, out classing her, out maneuvering her, picking her apart, dancing away. And Misha said, I only got a couple seconds. I'm going for it. Bit down, took her down, and submitted her. So once she no longer has that kind of desire with a person with her limited physical skill set and her la- lack of world-class athleticism, to be, be quite frank, you no longer can compete. She needs every single ounce of mental and physical energy to stay in the cage with these girls and to beat these girls. And the minute she loses even 10%, 15% of it, 2% of it, she's no longer elite. She's no longer the girl she she needs to be to win against girls who physically outclass her every single time she fights. There's very rarely a time when Misha Tate fights somebody who's not 10 times the athlete she is and at least 10 times better in a specific aspect of MMA than she is. She can't afford to get by on just athleticism and flashy skills. She doesn't have the physical ability to do that. So she has to have grit, she has to have desire, and she has to be wanting to walk through fire and walk through hell to get the win. When she's no longer willing to walk through hell, she's no longer an elite fighter. She's no longer a champion. She's no longer a top 10 fighter. That's the thing that separated her more than almost any other fighter I've seen before. When she said, I will walk through anything to get this win, she really meant it. Even when she lost to Katz and Gano, she took that knee. She wasn't unconscious she was going for a takedown and she wasn't gonna stop fighting Look and keep on taking it to get that win remember when ronda rousey broke her arm i mean you've seen guys tap at the mere hyper extension of an arm her arm is getting all mangled and she didn't want to tap because she wanted to fight she didn't she didn't want want to accept that loss from somebody she thought wasn't worthy of the opportunity and that that's when she lost that she's not able to compete she has to have that friend of the show ben cone i can't I'm not sure if I'm saying anything correctly. We talk about this all the time. Her biggest advantage is her heart, her mental toughness, and her physical durability. Those things started going away. And you can still work if you don't have top-end physical durability, but you have to be willing to embrace that pain and fight through it. She's no longer willing to do that. And I commend her for being honest with the fans and honest with herself. A lot of fighters will say, I still wanted it. I don't know why they stopped it. And the fact is they didn't want it. And they know exactly why they stopped it, but they don't want to say it to themselves because they're afraid of what that means for them moving forward. I don't want it enough. And since I don't want it enough, I can no longer compete. 
So I need to find something else to do. And uh, to be quite frankly, that's, this hurts the UFC. She's one of the best female fighters of all time. Held Strikeforce title and UFC title. She beat the girl who beat Ronda Rousey. She's Other than Holly Holm, she's the only one who's ever pushed Ronda Rousey. She's been top the number one in two different organizations. She's been top five in two different organizations. And she's actually a veteran of the sport. And she's very popular. So um, it hurts the UFC because they don't have many draws in the Bantamweight division. And they just lost one. And they lost the best face for the sport. Holly Holm can't really be a face for MMA. She's been doing it for like a year and a half, two years, three years. Uh, Ronda Rousey doesn't love MMA. So you can't use her as a face of the sport. You can use her to sell it, but she's not a face. Misha Tate loved the sport. She was invested as a coach, invested as a fighter, invested as an analyst. And and now you you don't have that well to go to, and you don't have her fan base to go to either. But um, as far as her retiring, I have no problem with it. Because like I said, once she less, she's no longer able to compete with the best. And she's just being honest with you. Yeah, I definitely find it interesting that she was so candid in the middle of the fight in with a corner to say, you know what, I don't care enough for this anymore. And I'm guessing that's when she made up her mind to go ahead and call it the quits. So you brought up a good point when you said that she's, you know, she's been vital to the expansion and growth of women's MMA. I think she, man, I think I think she's a first round, or oh, first round, like a first ballot. You say ballot in, in quotes, but she deserves the she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. And she's just as big of not just as big, but she's. She is a reason why women's MMA has gotten to where it is. You know, Ronda Rousey wouldn't be as big as a star as she was if Misha Tate didn't get that title first and didn't make that fight so attractive. And if, you know, she didn't play that foil to to Ronda so early, she wouldn't have – Ronda may not have become as big of a star as she was, especially not with the ultimate fighter there. So she definitely deserves some she, – she deserves the respect she gets from – you see it from other athletes. You don't see it from the fans so much. But she definitely deserves the respect that she gets. And she's a smart businesswoman with um, a very – I think she has a very keen mind for the business outside of professional sports. And I'm expecting to see her to do some, some great things um, outside of MMA as an advocate and as a media, media um, darling, even doing time um, on Fox Sports or whatever sometime in the near, near future. Yeah, they, they need, she needs to be calling women's fights, calling male, men's fights. She needs to be behind the desk. I mean, I like Cormier. I like Brian Stan. They're all great, wonderful people, and they're very good at their jobs. But Misha Tate's right up there with them. I mean, if you hear her explain about why a certain person will win, why a certain person won't, why why she's going to win and why she doesn't, you can hear the passion in her voice, and you can hear that the, the experience, the knowledge she has. Like, listen to her break down fights. Most people, oh, I just caught them here, or they didn't want it bad enough. They, they can't even explain what they're doing or their mindset or why they did something, and she can really do that. She would be an asset to any organization's desk as far as calling fights or preparing for big events. And I, I hope she gets that opportunity. It'd be a shame that she didn't. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. So um, let's – we have two more topics to talk about. So um, Khabib Namagomedov, he basically big-brothered Michael Johnson, and I, it got out of hand. You know, I thought it was going to be – I thought he was going to be throwing them all around, but instead of that, it was just I'm going to lay on you and beat on you all day. So tell me about this guy, man. Do you put him against Conor McGregor? Do you put him in that fight with – do you put him in that fight and let – one or two things will happen. Either McGregor dispatches him because um, Margot Madoff was taking some shots early in that fight, 
or we see a situation where Nurmagomedov gets Conor McGregor to the ground and just smashes on him for an extended period of time. What do you? What are your initial thoughts about that fight? And yeah, let's just start there. First, just briefly, a lot of people were really impressed by this win over Michael Johnson. It's so impressive. It's so dynamic. I was impressed physically that that Khabib was able to handle Johnson's power and his athleticism. The thing that didn't impress me is Michael Johnson isn't a top-end wrestler, for one, not defensively or offensively, in my opinion. Secondly, Michael Johnson's a good but not great grappler. I mean, there was never any doubt in my mind that once it hit the ground, Johnson is never – Johnson's not that great from being on top as far as a pure grappler. He's – way below average on his back as a pure grappler. He's not a finisher. He's not a control guy. He's not an escape guy. He's a one, two, three basics, figure my way out kind of guy or explode my way out with athleticism. Khabib didn't dominate Gunnar Nelson on the ground. He didn't dominate Damian Maya. He dominated Michael Johnson, who in my opinion is just on the lower end of the scale as far as pure grappling skills, especially on the defensive end go. So, him doing that to Michael Johnson didn't impress me because I knew that was coming. And I said that was coming months before it happened. That was never a doubt in my mind. Michael Johnson lacks the skills to test him in that area. It was impressive because he beat him up physically. Like you said, he big brothered him. Now, the thing about the thing, the area of concern in him fighting Connor is I don't think Khabib's entries, his entries into, into grappling and clinches, they're fine against guys who move in straight lines. They're fine against guys who can't pivot or can't circle. They're fighting against guys with slow-ass feet. Conor McGregor has none of those. And when Michael Johnson was on the move, taking the jab, throwing the long right hand, he couldn't get in on him. And everybody said, well, in, in real life, he just he was just playing around with him. You don't play with somebody in a cage. He couldn't, he couldn't just take a shot. He couldn't just run into a clinch because he'd get stuck with the jab. He'd run into a right hand. Michael Johnson could have pivoted off and hit him with a check hook. He could have stepped back and hit him with an uppercut. If, he, if you just go in for clinches or takedowns naked, you're going to get countered. You're going to get blasted. You, you know that. You've seen it before. I've seen it before. I'm sure you've experienced it in sparring or you've had to do it to somebody in sparring. It happens all the time. But Khabib's entries into clinches, they don't impress me. On Twitter, I basically said they're trash because against a mobile opponent who has a good idea of distance, they are trash. And Conor McGregor's sense of distance and his timing and his accuracy is what would be the problem. Because everybody keeps saying Michael Johnson is faster, he hits harder. That all may be well and true, but Michael Johnson isn't that good a striker either. He has a good style of striking. It's attribute-based, based on the fact that he's got fast feet, he's very dynamic, and he's got a lot of power. His striking style isn't particularly technical, and it's not particularly layered or nuanced to me. He couldn't keep up the pace he was keeping at. Even if Khabib never took him down, he's going to get tired because he spends all the energy jumping in and out. He doesn't move in and out and work his way in and out. He jumps in and out. He jumps from side to side. He's in and he's out. He's in and out. That burns up a lot of energy against a guy who's going to constantly pressure you. I've seen him fade in multiple fights before just off of that. And when he gets tired, his defense starts getting bad. His takedown defense starts getting bad. He starts giving up takedowns. He starts getting hit. He starts getting beat up. He starts getting pushed around. Watch the Nate Diaz fight. He got tired and he started fighting dumb. And there's other fights where he's done the same thing. So... The one thing that fight showed me is that Khabib can be had in between that moment of engagement. When you're from, when you're transitioning from the outside, getting into a grappling range, and then attempting a grappling, attempting to shoot or to clinch. 
I believe Conor McGregor could get off the center line and counter him. I believe Conor McGregor could pick him off the minute he stepped into striking range because Conor McGregor is a little bit longer and a little bit quicker and has a As you did say, though, once he gets his hands on him and he puts McGregor on the ground, I don't know what McGregor does for him. I know McGregor can grapple. I'm not saying he's terrible because he can grapple. It's over. They, they overplay the fact that he can't grapple. He got submitted by Nick, Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz has submitted a bunch of guys. That means nothing to me. But I don't know that he physically is strong enough to get Khabib off him. And I, I have no faith that he's technical enough on the ground that he could submit him or control him or break his posture. So Khabib just doesn't essentially hold him down and just beat him up. And as tough as Connor is, I've seen him tap before to chokes. I don't know if he tapped to an arm bar. Maybe he wouldn't. But I've seen him tap before, so it's not like he's going to put him in a hold and McGregor's just not going to tap and he's going to get his arm broken or shoulder ripped out. He might, you know, but I, I, I have, I've seen nothing that tells me that he's going to hang on like that. So it's really interesting because the fight could be over just as quickly because of the power Connor has and the accuracy. Everybody keeps talking about that, the, the obvious, the hand speed. It's not the hand speed. It's his setups. It's his distance management. It's his movements. It's his reaction time. And it's his accuracy that's what it is it's not just pure power there's lots of guys who hit hard they don't hit clean they don't hit sharp eddie alvarez hit conor mcgregor with shots but he was cuffing him he wasn't landing at the point on the contact he wasn't setting up the shot and having the guy run into it, it it's just the finer points of the game that other guy the people keep ignoring on the behalf of conor mcgregor so it's an interesting fight just from that point of view there's no way on god's green earth i believe khabib has anything for Connor on the feet. And based off what I've seen, there's no way in God's green earth that Connor has anything for Khabib on the ground. It's literally whoever can strike, get to their point of emphasis most decisively is going to win the fight. And it's just as likely that Connor catches them coming in and puts a fork a punch combination on them and puts them away as it is that Khabib grabs a hold of him somehow, starts putting chains together and either suplexes them left and right or just puts them on his back and just beats them for five five rounds until he wins the decision. Yeah, I think it would be an interesting stylistic fight to see what happens um, early and who, and like you said, who can get to their spot first. What did you think of um, Khabib's post-fight uh, rant? I thought it was hilarious. I loved it. I cracked up the whole way through. But um, what did you think of it? I thought it was funny because, I mean, like, you know, he doesn't he doesn't speak super well as far as English goes, so it was kind of funny. But I do commend him for, you know, he made a very good point. He's like, but I, I'm going to start talking because everybody who talks gets their shot. And Chael Sonnen said this, and many MMA have said this before. You know they're going to ask you who you want. You know they're going to ask you what you want to do moving forward. That's your chance to sell yourself. That's your chance to get things going. So that if somebody gets injured or something happens, you're the first person to go to. Ask Chad Mendez when the Aldo when the Aldo McGregor fight was going to happen. Aldo fell out. Who they first go to? Chad Mendez because he put himself mm -hmm. in position. And for once in his life, Khabib started putting himself in position. He's talking trash. He's calling people out. He's getting on Twitter misspelling that Connor's losing sleep over him. Oh my God, that was funny. But um. He's making a point to keep himself out there and keep his name on the on the lips of fans and on fighters, and that's what you have to do. How did Nate Diaz get the fight with Conor McGregor? Because after he had his fight, after he had his fight, he went on a 
about how he's an American ninja and Connor's an Irish ninja and we need to figure this nigga bleep, ninja bleep out. That's what he did. That's what he did. And that's what Khabib's doing. He's trying to force the fight by speaking through the media, going through every outlet he can and challenging Connor's manhood and making sure that the fans and the organization keep pressure on Connor. I don't think it's going to work. Connor's too smart for that at this stage and Khabib's got nothing. He's got no title. He's got nothing. He's got no big fan base. He's not got got no guaranteed huge payday for Connor. He's got nothing that's gonna make Connor McGregor jump, but he's playing it as smart as he can. And um, if nothing else, it's gonna keep him in the conversation and probably make him at least one fight, maybe two, away from the title. He might have to beat Ferguson if he's willing to fight him. According to Khabib, he's he's gonna have to be let go from the UFC if his next fight isn't a title fight. And uh, if he's gonna wait around for a title fight, he might be out for like another close to another year waiting to get that fight. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what's next for him. I don't think that they give him a title shot, but someone did bring up a good good idea or a good point of that there's a potential that they that there's that someone's going to be fighting for an, an interim fight at some point in time um, over the next uh, couple months. So before we go today, I want to talk about all the MMA action we have this week. We have three on um. They have three cards by on Friday. Let's see, or excuse me, the 18th. What day? Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, they have three cards on Saturday. We have UFC Fight Night 100, UFC Fight Night 99, and Bellator 165. Even with all these fights, I'm only interested in three right now. I'm interested in Michael Chandler versus Benson Henderson for the Bellator lightweight title. Um, you know what? I think I just lied. I'm interested in two. Um, Don't lie to me. <laughs> Uriah Hall and Gegard Musasi. That's it. Well, they're not very strong cards. Nope. It's all they're I got. Very, it's like they're trying to like get through all these cards so they can start their new organization of the UFC and start cutting back. Like, let's just get all these people the fights they're supposed to get. So we can reboot and get this thing running the way it should get running. So, talk. The only fight that really kind of stands out to me is a Michael Chandler Benson Henderson fight. Um, Benson Henderson hasn't looked good, man. He hasn't looked good since leaving UFC. Even though he was supposed to be like you know that big name that was finally brought and finally moved over, but he hasn't looked good at all since then. Um, do you think he comes out with a victory here? For some reason, man, my heart is telling me to kind of push back and say, no, you know what? No, he may not be the guy. I, I mean, he came to Bellator, and I'm not saying, I don't know that he was declining, but he came to Bellator at a stage where he wasn't at the height of his powers, either in popularity or leverage with the UFC. The UFC was willing to let go of him for a reason against a very, very big welterweight. A lot of what Benson Henderson does, he's a very skilled fighter. He likes to bait people and counter good kicks. Solid punches, not very complex or, or particularly technical punches. Good wrestling, good submission skills. The problem is a lot of what he does is based off him outworking you and physically manhandling you. He's a big, wel- he's a big lightweight. That's why he's able to fight a welterweight and beat some of the lower-level welterweights he fought because he's big, strong, and he's durable. And when he's fighting, when he fought, when he fought in Bellator, he didn't have that strength of it. He couldn't move that guy around. He couldn't keep him on the cage. 
when he didn't get the clean kick takedown, he couldn't just muscle him down. When he kicked the guy, he's just kicking people and people taking a couple steps back. He kicked that dude and the dude fired right back on him. He pushed that guy and the guy pushed him right back. He hit that guy with his best shots. The guy hit him back and hit the guy's shots rocked him and pushed him back and his shots weren't getting the dude's attention at all. So it was just a mismatch based off physical. The guy would be a tough style matchup if they were the same size, but with that kind of weight advantage, his, his takedown defense was much more effective against Henderson. His power, his striking, which was already far superior to Henderson, just got enhanced because of that size advantage. Just think about how Pettis beat up Oliveira, partly because of skill, but partly because he's used to facing bigger, stronger, more physical guys. Oliveira had nothing for him. He walked him down. He beat him up. Every shot he hit him with was rocking them, pushing him back, and hurting them. So it, that's essentially what happened to Benson Henderson. He didn't have the strength nor the physical durability to stand up with a guy with that particular skill set and style against Chandler. I think Henderson has a very, a very good chance. I, I don't really know what to think of him because I haven't seen him long enough. Uh, Pitbull got hurt. He fought a, he fought a welterweight who could have been, a, who could have been a small middleweight. So I, we haven't really had a chance to see Henderson against an actual lightweight. We haven't seen him against a guy who kind of matches up with him physically. And I think he has an opportunity against Chandler uh, I, I still believe Chandler isn't the same guy he was prior to the fight with Eddie Alvarez, the second fight. I believe Chandler has still has the physical skills. He's still fast. He's still strong. He's still explosive. I don't believe he's as fast, strong, or as explosive as he was prior to the fight. To me, I see him slowing down a little bit. And I see him being a little bit more technical and defensively aware because I don't think his chin's there. I don't think his chin's there like he used to be. I don't think his, his ability to recover is there like he used to be. Um, those fights against... Um, I forgot the guy who went to UFC. Will Will Brooks. He fought Will Brooks. Those were two grinding, punishing, um, long fights. His fights with Eddie Alvarez, Alvarez were two grinding, high action pace, long, punishing fights. And I think it's worn on him. And I think I think he's vulnerable to vulnerable when he gets hit. It's just recently he hasn't gotten hit. I I, I don't think a fight starts until both guys get hit. And I think when Chandler takes a shot. We're going to find out how much he has left. But the main thing is he, he works with his hand speed. He likes to work at a certain pace, at a certain range. I think if Vincent Henderson can bait him and counter him and pick him off with long shots, long kicks, long punches, I, I, would, I recommend a push kick or that karate front kick, snap kick to the gut and to the head. If he can keep him at a range and get Michael Chandler leaping in or getting over aggressive where he can tie him up and take him down and start working him over, I think – Henderson can win it. I think Henderson can win a decision. He might be able to stop Chandler because, as I said, I think Chandler's been compromised. I think he had four really tough fights, and those took at least two years off of his off of him as far as being an elite lightweight. I, that's 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 just how I see it. I don't think he has a whole lot left as far as durability goes. I I can't. I don't know what to say about Benson because I just haven't seen enough. I haven't that fight against. Korshkov, that wasn't that wasn't even fair. I can't even I can't I can't gauge anything from that fight. And the fight against Pitbull didn't go long enough for me to see what adjustments he was going to make or what he had for him. Like you said, he didn't look good. But neither one of those fights, the first fight was just a mismatch on pride level mismatch. And the second fight, it just didn't go long enough for me to see what he had left or if he could make an adjustment. So it's really hard to gauge. Benson Henderson and what he has and what he can still do because we've just seen so little from him. I, I still think he's, I think he's, this is going to be the fight that determines whether he's still elite on any level 
And me personally, I, I think he is. I, I think he can get. I think he can get Chandler. I thought Chandler would have lost to Josh Thompson. I think Josh Thompson would was going to be able to beat Chandler. And I, I think Vincent Henderson can pull it off. I don't know that he will, but I, I think he has enough tools and enough experience. And I think he's fresh enough where he can actually he can work his way out of it. Um, even though taking the beating he took against Korshkov has me a little concerned. I still think he hasn't been in as many punishing and grueling, physically punishing fights as Chandler. I think he has a little bit more left. If he doesn't, then uh, we're probably going to see him getting knocked out within the first three rounds. But if he does, I think he can. I think he can win a decision. He might stop him late, but I think he can definitely win a decision. So, so you got Chandler winning by decision? Uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on the limb and say I'm gonna go with uh, Mr. Henderson. Okay, okay, okay. You know what? I'll I'll take Michael Chandler on that bet just because I think that um I don't know I'm just gonna go ahead and, and, He's a, as and far, take Michael on that as far as, you, that as far as what you've seen is what what I've seen from people recently. Chandler's Chandler's probably the safer bet. I mean, he's looked better and better, but there's just something about his style and something about what I've seen from him when he gets hit. He just he just doesn't look as sturdy as he used to, and I can't imagine Benson Henderson understanding the stages out of his career and understanding what's at stake and he, given his skill set and the level of competition he's faced, I can't imagine him just having Chandler walk through him. I just can't see that happening. And so my, my logic in thinking this is that once Henderson starts putting them things on him, Henderson can disrupt that offense and keep Chandler from getting started. He can land some kicks at a distance and kind of force, force Chandler to over pursue. He can tie him up, he can get his hands on him, and he can start working him over. And when he starts working him over, I don't think Chandler's going to be able to handle it. I just don't think his durability there. I don't think his, re- his recuperative ability is there. I guess we'll find out on Saturday, but he, he just hasn't looked, he hasn't looked as sturdy to me as, as I've thought he has. And the, every guy he's faced recently has been his athletic inferior by far. He might be a better athlete than Vincent Henderson, but he's not that much better of an athlete than Vincent Henderson, which means some of the things he's gotten away with and some of the advantages he's have won't exist. So what's going to happen when he wrestles a guy who can wrestle? What's going to happen when he depends on speed and he's against a guy who's also fast and also has good timing and also can take the shot? You know, he hasn't faced a guy who's been his comp- his physical equal in a while. This time he's going to be. Vincent's been fighting guys who have been far his physical superior and finding ways to win. So I think he can find a way to win, especially against a guy who I believe uh, is ready to go if you can crack him hard enough. I'm not. I'm not too mad with that breakdown there. Um, let's so let's pick on one last fight here. Uriah Faber, Gegard Mousasi. Is this fight going to go like the first one should have, with Gegard dominating from start to finish, or are is Uriah Hall going to be a fluke for the second time around and get an, another victory here? Um, I, I actually picked Uriah Hall the first time. I, I did you I really? Picked- yeah, I, I, I was on Twitter. I was like, yeah, I, I can't say I su- feel super good about this because Musasi has so many ways to win. Going with Hall, I think Hall's going to stop him, and and Hall did. And, you know, I'm just going to go out on a limb. I, I think Hall I think Hall's going to figure something out and stop him again. The biggest concern I have for Musasi is the same thing that happened before. Musasi's better almost in every aspect of striking, except for athletic and dynamic and creativity. He doesn't have that that has, but he's a, he's a more consistent fighter. He's got more foundation. He's got more fundamental skill under pressure, and he's a better grappler, better wrestler, and and got more experience. The thing about it is, when you lose to a guy who you shouldn't have lost to, 
sometimes guys come out to prove a point instead of coming out to win. And a lot of times when you come out to prove a point that I'm better than you and I shouldn't have lost to you, you give that person an opportunity to score points or you, you fight them where they're strongest. And if he wants to get into a prolonged striking exchange with Uriah Hall, Uriah Hall's always dangerous. If you don't put him away early, he's always dangerous for three rounds, for five rounds. He's that dynamic. He's got that kind of creativity. He's got that kind of power. And I think that Musashi is going to go in here trying to prove a point and he's going to get, he's going to eat something big and he, he, he might get finished again. It's not a, it's not a win. I can, it's not a win. I can give you a whole lot of technical analysis on because Uriah Hall makes so many mistakes that Musashi should be take, should be able to take advantage of and finish him at any given point in any fight. But by that same logic, Musashi should have been able to take advantage of those holes and finish him in the first fight. And he didn't do it. And, We've had a trend recently of fighters who are on the way up picking fights with guys who have been on losing streaks or just got knocked out. And almost in every instance, the superior fighter with the winning streak has lost his ranking or lost his title shot because that guy who was on a two-fight losing streak or just got knocked out came up with the performance of a lifetime and pulled the fight out. Ask Ben Rothwell. He was on the cusp of a title shot. What happened when he fought Junior DeSantos, who was considered to be shot and ruined? Look at Michael Bisping. He he almost got his belt took by Dan Henderson, who's on his way out of retiring. Look at look at um Luke Rockhold. He said Bisping was easy money. I already dominated him the first fight. This time I'm gonna finish him for good. I'm gonna retire him. And then he got knocked out and got his belt taken. True. Good points. So um, good points there. so and Musasi, as good as he's been, there's nobody who's an analyst in MMA today who will tell you. You can depend on Musasi to perform. With all his skills, he should give everybody he fights a life or death battle. He didn't give Uriah Hall a life or death battle. He got finished. He got outworked by Leo Mashida, and he got beat up by Jacare, and Jacare made it look easy. So with all his skills and his experience and physical ability, he's hit or miss. He's just as temperamental and unique-minded as Uriah Hall. He's just got a better foundation and a wider array of skills but he's just as undependable. There's lots of fights he should have won that he didn't. Shice he should have been competitive in that he wasn't. And um, this, I think lightning striking twice is very likely. Um, I'm not saying Hall's – I'm going to go with Hall saying he's going to win it because I just think it's setting up that way. But if you want to go by pure technical analysis, experience, and everything else, you got to go with Musasi. I just – I've seen Musasi not, not fight – check out of fights before. I've seen him get lazy. I've seen him get complacent. And I've seen him pay for it. And against a guy with Hall's kind of finishing ability and dynamic offense, if you give him all he needs is a moment, he's literally a guy who only needs one moment. And the fight's over. And I think that he's going to give and try to prove a point. He's going to give Hall that moment. And Hall's got to know he's on the he's on the edge of the cliff. He's either got to fight hard and win or he's going to go over. So I think you we should expect a very focused, very uh, – Intense effort from Hall, and I think he's going to pull it out. I think he might stop him again, stop him with wow. the same technique. But um, but uh, I, I think he's going to pull it out. That's a pretty um interesting pick there, sir. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing if you are right or wrong at the end of the weekend. You and me both. <laughs> so with that in mind, um, let's go ahead and close the show out let us know what you're working on for this week 
Um, I'm still working on my original piece about camps looking outside their camps for help. I'm thinking about uh, trying to take an approach, a different take on the Conor McGregor phenomenon. It's, it's going to be kind of discussing the uh, what it what the reason is, the motivation behind fighting Conor McGregor. A lot of people seem to have some miscommunication and they put all the blame on Conor McGregor. And I think I think they're taking the easy way out. I don't think they're holding their own fan favorite fighters to the same standard that they're holding Conor to. And that's what that that's what also assists in the Conor McGregor show moving forward. Um, as usual, you can find me on Twitter. I'll probably be live tweeting throughout the fights. Uh, Black Jordan Breen, you got any questions or one analysis? Um, just you can either ask me directly or you can follow my line. I always put hashtag all lowercase MMA ratings. And it's usually my thoughts about upcoming fights, my thoughts on random thoughts on certain fighters or certain matchups or, uh, you know, just where I think a fighter could improve or where a camp can improve. I discuss anything and everything, combat sports, boxing included. And before I hand it over to my my esteemed colleague, uh, Raphael, I just wanted to say, um, I wanted to make a brief comment about Joanna Dundedrick. I know I butchered her name. I think this move to ATT is a very good move for her. I mentioned this earlier. I think she's realizing that other girls are coming in with skill sets. They're gonna be able to, that being able to strike and defend takedowns is not gonna be good enough. And I think she understands that in all her title defenses and in a few of her fights before she got to the title, they were all very long, very punishing, very high activity, very back and forth fights. And that takes a toll on you physically. You only have so many tough fights. You can only take so many big shots. You can only be perfect for so many rounds. And it starts to catch up to you. And I think she's understanding that her fight with Eterno, she got lumped up a little bit. Her fight with Goodellis, she got dropped and got kind of manhandled and roughed up. And against Carolina, she ate a big shot and possibly could have been finished had a couple things not gone the way they went. So I think she's trying to address these holes because she understands the gap between her and the rest of the division are closing. She needs to diversify her skills and she needs to make sure she has a depth of skills in the areas that she's not particularly deep in so that she can continue to keep her title and she can no longer depend on this work rate, technique, and toughness to get her through it. It's been working so far, but she outclassed Carolina on every level and she beat her up for four and a half rounds out of five. But for that half a round, she was in real trouble. She was really hurt and she looks really bad. And um, she's gonna have to start finding out different avenues to apply her trade in different ways to defend and counter things and different options to attack. And uh, it's because what she's doing now, while spectacular and dynamic technically, it's not gonna keep working. The gap is closing, I believe. And I think she recognizes that and she's trying to develop the tools and the mindset and the strategy that's gonna allow her to navigate navigate the holes and the weaknesses she has and navigate the rough spots that she, that she finds herself in in these fights. Um, I commend her for being so forward thinking. I commend her for that drive and I commend her for understanding there's limitations to her games that need to be addressed. She clearly wants to be the best and she's not just fighting in the cage like it, she's preparing like it too. So I commend her for that, and um, I hope to see some very, some more nuanced aspects of her grappling and her wrestling coming out moving forward. Not that I ever think she's going to be a pure grappler or wrestler, but she definitely needs to address those things because they got a lot of girls coming for her who are managing those holes if she doesn't have them shored up. Yeah, it's definitely she. Um, definitely has some work cut out for her in the next few fights. It'll be interesting to see who comes out 
of that Paige Van Zandt, Michelle Waterson bat match. I think that they're up next to face her. So we'll see um, what happens in the coming weeks once that fight goes down. But um, I am working on the usual stuff. I uh, just finished a grappling preview on Yuri Sumois, um for Bloody Elbow. And getting the, I still haven't done any writing for MMA ratings this week. But that is coming. It's been a long week. Um, very long week. So I'm working on that. Um, and I'm trying to watch this Panthers game to decide if I want write, to write, write something about my Panthers who are winning 23-3 in New Orleans or against the Saints right now. So got a little bit going on. You know, just a regular day. Another week. Another day in the life. So be sure to follow MMARatings.net. Um, or you can follow us on Instagram, MMARatings.net. Follow us on Twitter, MMARatings.net as well. And you can also go to the website, MMARatings.net, and you can rate all the fights. Tell us what you thought of UFC 205 from top to bottom. And with that in mind, you know, you can catch me on Twitter at Garcia Sports, And stay in tune for everything that we have going on in the world of combat sports. With that yeah, in mind, I'm going to close the show out. Go ahead. Thanks for listening. See you again. All right, no problem, man. Uh, have a great weekend, and be sure to check us out next week as we'll, um, we'll be back on Wednesday, not Thursday because of the holiday. But, yeah, we'll be back um, to talk about the world of MMA. All right, guys, good night.